Welcome to the CyberLife Podcast, where we help you learn cybersecurity best practices, give you a weekly update on the latest cybersecurity news, and share valuable career advice. Hey everyone, it's Ken. In this episode, you're going to hear from Andrew Wilder. Andrew is an award-winning CISO. He's been listed in the CISO Top 50 Hall of Fame. He helps businesses and boards understand and address their cybersecurity risk. And Andrew is also an agent professor. He's an advisor to a number of different universities. He's a board advisor to multiple companies. And he also spent many years in various senior leadership roles over at Nestle, which is the place that makes a lot of delicious things. Andrew also volunteers with several organizations like InfraGuard, CyberUp, and Cyversity. And in today's episode, he's going to share a little bit of information around what he calls reactive mode. We're also going to talk a little bit about EQ as well as executive presence. So some of those terms are thrown around on social media and people try to sound like experts, but Andrew's going to peel back the onion, so to speak, and really dive into what do all those terms mean and kind of give some insight. And also pay attention to some of the books that Andrew uh, references, as well as some of the uh, different bits of advice around mindset, goal setting, things like that, that come a little later in this episode. So definitely listen to this whole thing, listen to it a few times, take notes. And again, if you want to learn more about Andrew, just visit him on LinkedIn and stalk him a little bit. And you can connect with him and learn more from there. Without further ado, let's dive right in and learn from Andrew. So thanks again for coming on the show today, Andrew. Really appreciate it. And as I mentioned in Andrew's bio, he's a Hall of Fame winner for CISO. So we're going to dive in today into what Andrew defines as reactive mode. We're also going to talk a little bit because we've got Andrew on. We're going to talk a little bit about emotional intelligence or EQ, if you've ever heard that term, as well as executive presence. For And this episode is both for current leaders in the industry, as well as aspiring leaders, or if even at any point in your life, you think you might want to get into a more senior leadership level role. We're going to try to dig into that a little bit in this episode. So again, thanks, Andrew, for coming on. I just want to dive right in and start off with the reactive mode stuff. Can you just explain for the audience, what is reactive mode and how can someone recognize that they're actually either in it or going into it? Sure. So one of the ways that people define reactive mode or, or another common phrase that's used for it is called firefighting, right? It's, it's getting bogged down in those day-to-day activities that that extra requests from your boss, like, hey, I read this in the news and are we protected from this thing? And it kind of takes you away from your priorities that you should be working on. I would say the best way to recognize it is to really take an honest look at what you're doing every day. So it's important as a leader to spend some time at the beginning of each day to plan your day. And I honestly, I sometimes do it the night before, you know, maybe I don't have as much time at the beginning and then at the end of the day to reflect and really think about, you know, of the stuff that I did today, how much of that stuff was strategic and how much of that stuff was kind of reactive mode, firefighting, dealing with those problems that are coming in. So that's how I would uh, define it and uh, recognize it. So let's say someone out there right now, Andrew, they've kind of recognized like, oh man, yeah, you know, yesterday was a terrible day. I spent most of the day just kind of putting out those little fires instead of focused on the more strategic aspects that I need to do as a leader. Like what, what can they do? Like, let's say that they're conscious enough to recognize like, okay, I'm in reactive mode. It seems like all morning long, I've been putting out fires. What, what are some of the, like, is there kind of a step-by-step process or certain things that you, that you personally do or that you recommend they do to kind of pull them back out of that mode? 
Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that we did at Nestle uh, in my team, and this was a bonusable objective for the whole team, was what we called SSAOE. And SSAOE was simplify, standardize, automate, offshore, and eliminate. It's the idea of pushing down lower value tasks so that you can focus on more strategic and higher value add tasks. I'm actually reading the Elon Musk biography right now by Walter Isaacton. And Elon has something that he calls the algorithm, um, which I, I've put into uh, an anagram of QDSAA, and which is question every requirement, delete any parts of the process that you can, simplify, which is the, in mine as well, accelerate cycle times, and then automate. And he, he is very conscious about putting automation at the end because he was talking about when he built the first Tesla factory, he tried to automate too quickly. And he found out that there were things that human beings could do uh, much faster and cheaper than having a robot. And so there was one uh, part of the book where he talks about going out into the parking lot of the Tesla uh, factory and throwing out all of these very expensive machines that he had put in to automate everything. So um, yes, there's definitely some systematic ways that you can do that. And you really have to be conscious about doing that, right? Because Again, if you're in reactive mode and you're not spending time on focusing on one of these ways to to reduce that that kind of stuff, you're going to get stuck in the same cycle. So, are there like uh, are there like some some questions? Like, let's say I'm I'm kind of you know I've recognized a little bit that maybe I'm in this reactive mode, or maybe I haven't. You know, are there are there maybe some questions that I I can kind of ask myself to say, okay, am I maybe in reactive mode? versus more strategic? Like, are, are there are there any questions out there that someone can kind of just maybe have even written down on a, on a, note, a sticky note or something to where they say, wait a minute, let me take a pause. Let me look at these questions and ask myself these. Any Anything like that that you, that you might be able to share, Andrew? Yeah, so I'm, I mean, when we talk about the, the planning and the reflection, I think one of the questions you want to ask yourself as you reflect on your day is, how much time have I spent being strategic today? If you look at your calendar, if you look at your inbox, are you focusing a lot of time on that? You know, I had a, a, a mentoring session with one of my board members at a former company, and I asked him uh, career advice, like, what do, you know, what do you think I should do next? And he said, well, I'm going to give you a, a, an exercise or a, or a task to do. He said, I want you to spend 600 hours of quiet reflection and I want you to ask yourself a number of a number of questions. Now, this is not really about being strategic, but this is about like, what do you want to do with your life? It's like, who, why am I who I am? What are my impulses? What's in my heart and my mind? What are my passions? What influences me? What drives me? And what motivates me? And when I first had the this the you know this request from him, I thought, okay, yeah, I could do this. And I try to divide you know twenty four into six hundred, and obviously that's not going to work because I need to sleep and I need to work every day and then I thought about, uh, you know, how am I going to do this? How am I going to find these hours in the day? It's going to take me at least probably 300 or 600 days if I'm doing two hours of it a day. Um, but I've done probably at this point about 50 hours of it. It's a hard thing uh, to do. But what I have found through that is that that self-reflection allows you to plan for being strategic and think about those things that you want to do. And if, you're, if your mind is just bogged down with all of this reactive and, you know, look on your computer and all the pop-ups and your phone and all of these little icons and stuff. If you get 
you get stuck into those things, you're not going to have time to be strategic and, and end up being really good and, and great and effective um, at being a leader, I would say. So Andrew, we, we often see, especially on social media, but also these online gurus with all their ads and everything that it's always multitasking, right? You've got to have 12 jobs, 46, you know, side hustles, all of them need to make a million dollars, you know, and, and all of it's going to happen in 24 hours if you just buy my course. But people often talk about this multitasking stuff. Um, I've obviously read a number of studies that, that uh, out there, and I can't recall exactly, it might have been Harvard Medical School anyways. But, but basically, the human brain focuses essentially on one task at a time, at least according to, you know, some of the data out there. So, in your opinion, you know, when people talk about all this multitasking, and, and again, on social media, it looks like everybody's crushing it, nobody ever has any problems, but that's not the reality for normal people, at least. And so, so in your opinion, Andrew, like how many things can someone successfully do well at the exact same time? So I think part of it is it depends on at the exact same time. So at the exact same time, I think we all agree that it's one thing, but um, I, I guess I have three responses. And my answer actually is, is there's three things that you can do really well in your job. Now that that's a, you know, that's a number that can fluctuate. I would say maybe you can only do one thing really well or two or four or whatever, but um, one of the things that I do, and I'll ask your your audience members to do this themselves and just just to try this little experiment. Um, so I have people write down the letters A through Z, and I have people write one through ten three times, and time yourself doing that. Right. So how long does it take you to write on a piece of paper A to Z, and then write you know basically one through thirty, uh, and then and so everybody in a, in a room we all time each other's, and it's like you know 20, 30 seconds or something like that. Then you have you do the same thing, but in a slightly different way. So you write A, 1, B, 2, C, 3. And as you do that, your mind has to switch each time to, to go back to oh, which, which sequence am I doing. And normally, it's at least double, if not longer, than the amount of time that it takes. So it's a, it's a powerful exercise to show people, uh, you know, switching your mind onto tasks, you're actually delaying a lot of stuff. There's a quote from... I think it's attributed to Warren Buffett, but I'm not sure if it's really from him, uh, but at least it's attributed to him. And he says something like, make a list of the 10 most important things you need to do, and then throw away the last seven things on the list and just focus on those first three. Um, I, uh, I work with a lot of cybersecurity startups. And one of the things that I am constantly reminding them is to focus on doing one thing really well, right? Don't try and make a you know, some, something that serves absolutely everybody, focus on your one niche, your one thing that you're doing and do that thing really, really well. And the other stuff will come. I think that's also really good advice for the job seekers out there. Cause I see a lot of people like, Hey, I can't find a job, but they've got, I want to be a cybersecurity analyst, engineer. I want to be a pen tester. I want to be, you know, all these things. So it's like 46 job titles are listing on their LinkedIn profile because they're so desperate. Right. And I, and you know, understandable, you're trying to get a job, you're trying to get that first job, but but you really have to, you know, to Andrew's point on, on the business side as well, focus on one thing, do it extremely well, be the, the quote unquote thought leader or the master or whatever terminology you want to use, but be that go-to person for that thing. And all the other things, uh, at least in my experience, will fall into place with that. So you kind of answered my next question a little bit with the activity you mentioned, Andrew, but are there any questions that leaders should be asking themselves, you know, because you kind of talked about the self-reflection and stuff, but are there any other questions that leaders should be asking themselves to try to 
facilitate better focus and or is are there questions that they should be asking to help them kind of protect their team from all the you know all the fires of the world out there yeah so i uh, i think i'm gonna uh, okay so there's two questions in there so the first one is asking yourself and another thing that i like to think about in this is uh the the rule of one percent incremental improvements each day so if you do one to the 365th power, it's still one. But if you do 1.01 to the 365th power, it's like 37 and change. So what that what that math problem tells me is that if I can make a small 1% incremental improvement in my day-to-day -day activities each day, I can end up having a huge impact as I look throughout the year. So that's something that I do with myself to think about how am I making those small incremental improvements that can add up to big improvements over the year. Um, for the team, I really believe that one of the key traits of a leader is to create a safe space for your team. So, you know, if there are political roadblocks out there, resource roadblocks, financial roadblocks, skills roadblocks, your job as a leader is to create that safe space so that your team is not getting bogged down from the noise. Now you have, you're have you gonna have to take some of the noise yourself in order to create that safe space for your team. It shouldn't be 100% of your time or 90% of your time, but um, you need to create that safe space to allow them to, to succeed. So I wanna pivot a little bit to talk about emotional intelligence. So do you mind just sharing your your thoughts or your, your kind of your definition of what is EQ and why do you think it's important for leadership roles? And And when we say leadership roles, on this episode, we're not just talking about like formal management or, you know, senior leadership roles. You can be a leader, like a team leader. You can just be kind of the go-to person on your team. So when we're talking about building a leader, why is EQ so important? And, and first off, what is it? Well, so I'm glad that you talked about leader in, in different definitions, right? Because you can be a leader as an individual contributor. Um, it's the way that you do things. I was fortunate enough to take a course on EQ uh, at Nestle when I was there. Um, and the best way that I was able to understand it is it's, it's about being conscious of your emotions and then being able to manage them. So you've heard the phrase before, like, you know, people who are controlled by their emotions. So people with a really high EQ are not controlled by their emotions. They're conscious of their emotions. They understand them. There's times when they feel them, right? There's, you know, there's a time to cry and a time to fight or whatever, but um, they know about their emotions and they're able to take control of them and use those things effectively. I think if I were going to describe someone who had a very high EQ, I would say that they're a very effective communicator. Um, they're very good at resolving conflicts, right? Because they're not going to get in there and feel emotional pull towards one, one way or the other. They're, they're probably very good at building relationships. Um, I would trust them a lot to be able to make decisions because again, when you take emotion out of it or when you're able to manage your emotions in a decision, it helps you to make, uh, I would say better or clearer decisions. Um, and the other thing I would say about someone with a high EQ is there's someone that's inspirational, right? There's someone that you want to listen to, that you want to follow, that you want to see as a leader. So. If you grow your EQ, if you're interested in becoming a leader, um, you can show that you do it in your day-to-day -day interactions with people and people will start to see you as a leader because of that uh, EQ. 
And I'm just going to share for the audience something that I did years ago when I went from individual contributor and I wanted to get into management, you know, mid-level management, director level, executive level, and then, you know, ultimately have my own businesses and things. But what I did is I would basically just ask myself, what would that person do? So as an example, let's say you, you want to become a director at your company or, or at some point in your career, as you're going through your entire day, I'm not just talking about work, but like you're going to the grocery store shopping or you're driving in traffic, what would a director do, right? What would, what would a VP do? What would an executive do? What would the CEO do? How would they act? That will help actually essentially mold your subconscious to cause you to ultimately, and it takes time, but ultimately behave that way. So kind of leading to what Andrew's saying about EQ, you then start to become naturally more conscious of your emotions because you're always asking that question in your head. Well, what would, you know, this person in this particular role, you know, do? And same with those that are maybe listening and they want to be a millionaire, like all the gurus want you to do with their course in 24 hours. But anyways, same thing, right? If you want to become a millionaire, most millionaires are not shaking their butts on the side of the road. They act right, right? They know how to act a certain way in certain circles. And, and so questions like that, I think, are a good tactical way for someone right now listening to this to go starting today immediately without any resources. Just ask yourself, okay, I want to become a CISO, for example, like Andrew, and become world famous. How would a CISO act in this situation at the grocery store? You know, would a CISO be in a rush and throwing apples at somebody or would a CISO say, you know what, I've got a little time here. Let me, let me, you know, talk to people. Let me be friendly. Let me, you know, go a little slower in my walk in the grocery store. So I think a question like that, asking yourself for whatever your goal is, again, it doesn't have to just be cyber security stuff. Um, I think that can help people out there as well. Cause that's something I actually did and it worked very, very well. And it helped me change my behavior to be that next level much, much, I mean, it took, sometimes it only took like a week or even a few days of doing that to, to mold myself into what I wanted at that next level, you know? So that's just something maybe for the audience to take away to, to go implement today. So I want to, you know, kind of along the lines of EQ, obviously that's, you know, we, we also hear a term called executive presence. And I think, I think a lot of people, like they throw the term around, especially if you go to like any like business networking events in your local city, like all these aspiring entrepreneurs will throw out executive presence. You know, it's like, you don't even know what that means, kid. But Andrew, do you mind just sharing your definition from your experience? Because you've, you know, obviously you're a Hall of Famer uh, in the CISO world. You've worked, you, you advise startups, you advise, you know, on other boards, volunteer boards, et cetera, just a ton of experience. So in your opinion, what is executive presence? And also a secondary question there, for someone that's listening right now and they want to kind of build up their skill set in that area, what are some suggestions that you have? So first of all, I really like your idea of asking yourself, you know, if, in any everyday situation, how would someone I see as, as someone with high uh, executive presence, how would they handle this? I thought that was a great uh, piece of advice. I think I'm going to start doing that myself. Um, so I think my best definition of executive presence is comfortably command attention. And I think comfortably is a really important part of that because it, you're not commanding attention as a as a commandant or you know a, a drill sergeant. You're comfortably commanding attention. I think about someone who has a, a really strong executive presence. They don't need to raise their voice to be heard, right? It's someone who you can tell has paused and thought about what they were going to say, and when they say something or when they ask a question it's on point 
it drives deep thought in the people who are receiving that question. Certainly, uh, you know, EQ plays into it as well. Um, and when I when I thought about what you were saying about the interacting day to day when you go to the store, um, you know, reading your audience, shifting your tone, making other people feel valued, I think that's a really key part of it as well. Um, and the last thing that I would say about someone with executive presence is they are authentic. Um, and you can feel that, you can hear that um, in what they say. They're they're real, and that's what's coming across. So. Um, you know, not not gurus or, uh, you know, or, you know, making million dollar side hustles. But I think it's a really important thing to have um, as you as you move up in your career and as you move forward in life. And like you said, cybersecurity or, or anything, you know, uh, board work, uh, leadership uh, in any capacity. So you you're I mean, you're you're what a lot of people call a lifelong um, student. Andrew, right? You're, you're constantly, uh, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier, you're talking about Elon Musk biography. So you read a lot, you've gone through a lot of courses, different educational programs, you've got a whole, I mean, someone could go to your LinkedIn to see, see just a fraction of that there. Are there any specific books or courses or any other resources that you would recommend for something aspiring to become a leader? And again, you know, our definition of leader is not just being a manager, but but maybe maybe Andrew, with with your thoughts on that, talk about someone that wants to just develop leadership skills, then maybe someone that wants to move into management, and maybe someone that wants to move into executive leadership. Like, are the resources kind of at those different stages that you would recommend they use? Uh, okay, so yeah, a lot of a lot of kind of loaded questions in there. Um, uh, the first thing I would say is uh, reading books. So you're right. I love to read books. We already talked about the Musk biography. I'm listening to that um, on uh, Audible, and I'm probably about an hour left. But it is, what, however you feel about that guy, it is exciting. And you have to admit that he's doing a lot of things to change the world. Um, the other audio book that I'm listening to is one called Cybersecurity First Principles by Rick Howard. Um, if you call me a Hall of Famer, Rick Howard is the ultimate Hall of Famer in cybersecurity, uh, super well known in the industry. And the thing that I like about the book is it's kind of um, it's security uh, agnostic, right? You can use any kind of uh, methodology that you want and all of those things will still apply. So really interesting thing to take a look at. Um, I do have some books on my desk as well. Um, my friend Sue Bergamo just wrote a book called So You Want to Be a CISO, uh, which is kind of a funny title. I think it's great for people who are considering doing it. It kind of it 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 both tells you about the risks associated with it. And if you look in the, the media right now, there's certainly a number of risks, but it also tells you about some of the, the good and great things that happen with it as well. Um, I took a course called QTE, part of the Digital Directors Network that I highly recommend if you are already um, a CISO or CIO and looking to go into uh, board work. Uh, Bob Zukas, who's the guy that runs that program, uh, he wrote a book called The Great Reboot, um, which is a really good one. Uh, talks a lot about systemic cybersecurity risk and how boards can look at it um, in the future. Um, a good friend of mine, Joe Scherer, uh, wrote a book that I leave on my desk all the time called The Leadership Forge. Um, it's it's really interestingly written. It's uh, There's 50 leadership secrets in there, and uh, every chapter has kind of 
what you should do. And then it's got deeper insight and then it has recaps and self-coaching questions that you can ask yourself. I refer to that uh, regularly. Um, also, Washington University um, has online courses. There's one that I teach in called the ECLP or the Executive Cyber Leadership Program. This is for people looking to be CISOs, sitting CISOs or CIOs or other technology leaders who want to get more uh, cyber savvy, I would say. Really great and some really great leaders in there to give you some, um, some coaching and feedback as well. Uh, the other one that I'm reading, I got to give a shout out to Roger Grimes. Um, I, I teach a course called Data-Driven Defense, and he wrote a book called A Data-Driven Computer Defense. Um, he has a great analogy, which I love to use um, about data-driven defense, which is uh, imagine that there are burglars that are breaking into your house and they keep breaking in through the window. And so your response is to keep buying stronger and stronger locks for your front door. And so that's what he said that that's what we're doing when we don't use a data-driven defense model because we're not looking at the, the real problem. Um, a couple other things uh, to go towards uh, boards uh, that I would think about. There's a group called the Private Directors Association that I've been a member of uh, for about six months now. And they're a great organization. They work with private company board directors. And if you if you think about boards and being on a board, you know the, the goal is being on a public company board. And usually those have a good um, pay package that comes with them as well. And you're really able to influence. But there are significantly more private company boards than there are public company boards. So one of the ways that you could get in is through private uh, directorship. And they offer a, a private director certification course. Um, they also have a cybersecurity committee, which I'm on, which is doing some great stuff in terms of training boards. So great way to network and that stuff as well. And the other thing is you can look to your local university. Um, there's a number of, um, of you know, top-notch universities that have courses on uh, becoming a board member or a certified board member, things like that. I know a number of CEOs and sitting board members who've gone through some of those courses and have great things to say about them as well. So that would be my advice, uh, books and courses and other things that you can take a look at. So Andrew, any final thoughts or advice for, for listeners out there around leadership? Someone gave me this advice a long time ago and apologies to anyone who's heard me speak on a podcast before because I've probably said it before. Um, but the, the advice is no one is going to care more about your career than you do. So don't expect your boss to care about it or your spouse to care about it or HR to care about it. You need to make time for your own development. You need to make that a priority. And people talk about sometimes, well, I didn't have time to do this. Well, everybody has the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. It's about prioritizing it. So you know, if you're thinking about going back to school and getting your MBA or going and taking one of these courses or getting a new certification, you know, do it, make the time for it, make it a priority and, uh, and go and do it. That reminds me, I think it was the movie. So it's Star Trek. So for the Star Wars fans out there, I apologize. You're not going to like this, but Star Trek, I think the movie was generations and there was a scene in there. I think it was, uh, so captain Kirk, was saying something about like, you know, Sulu has a family. When do you, when do you have the time? And I think it was Scotty that said, you know, like you said, captain, if it's important, you make the time, you know? So I think going along with what you said, Andrew, if it's really important to you in your career and you really want to do it, you'll make the time for it. That might mean sacrifice. You gotta, you can't watch Netflix, right? You're going to have to binge watch it later or 
or you might have to, you know, pick up a second job to afford the course on leadership that then helps you get to the next level. But anyone can do anything. Um, I like to use Tia Hopkins. I don't know if you know her as an example. She's, I don't know how many, I think she's got six or seven degrees now, but she's always busy. She also coaches tackle football. She's an executive in the industry. She's always volunteering conferences, nonprofits. I mean, I don't know how she sleeps. I don't think she ever sleeps, but, <laughs> but, you know, she's, she's chosen what she wants to do and she does it. She actually just won uh, it's a pre some presidential award. I, I'm going to get it wrong. So I'm just going to say it's a presidential award from Biden for some, for some of the volunteer work she's done. Wow. So anyways, we could, you know, we could go off on Tia and, and as well as your accomplishments here, but I just want to share that as well as it, like, like Andrew said, if it's important, you're, you're going to make the time. And at the end of the day, you own it, right? Andrew's not going to be the one responsible for your career. I'm not responsible. Nobody else is responsible your spouse isn't the isn't isn't the reason. You own yourself. Think of yourself yeah. as a business. It's a company of you. And you can either have a successful business or you can have a you know a side hustle that, you know, where you're you're saying you're CEO, but really you're the guy flipping the fries at McDonald's, right? So you can either have an unsuccessful business of you or you can have a very successful one, but a successful one is going to take that sacrifice and dedication. And I would I would add one more thing, Ken, for your audience. You talked about you're going to have to stop watching Netflix to go and do this. One of my mentors gave a great challenge question to me. He said, what is it that you're willing to give up to succeed? So what, what can you give up to succeed? Whether that's your Netflix binge watching or what, you figure out what that is. I thought that was a great challenge question. Thanks for listening to the show. If you're looking to secure your business better or build up your cybersecurity career, then check us out over at cyberlife.tv. That's C-Y-B-E-R-L-I-F-E dot T-V.